The Pilgrim's Progress, Part One, Chapter Five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, Part One, Chapter Five. Now, as Christian went on his way, he came to a little ascent which was cast up on purpose that pilgrims might see before them. Up there, therefore, Christian went, and looking forward, he saw faithful before him upon his journey. Then said Christian aloud, Ho, ho, so ho, stay, and I'll be your companion. At that, faithful looked behind him, to whom Christian cried, Stay, stay, till I come up to you. But faithful answered, No, I am upon my life, and the avenger of blood is behind me. At this, Christian was somewhat moved, and putting to all his strength, he quickly got up with faithful, and did also overrun him, so the last was first. Then did Christian boastfully smile, because he had gotten the start of his brother, but not taking good heed to his feet, he suddenly stumbled and fell, and could not rise again until faithful came up to help him. Then I saw in my dream they went very lovingly on together, and had sweet talk together of all things that had happened to them in their pilgrimage, and thus Christian began. My honoured and well-beloved brother Faithful, I am glad that I have overtaken you, and that God has so tempered our spirits that we can walk as companions in this so pleasant a path. I had thought, dear friend, to have had your company quite from our town, but you did get the start of me, wherefore I was forced to come thus much of the way alone. How long did you stay in the city of destruction before you set out after me on your pilgrimage? Till I could stay no longer, for there was great talk, presently after you were gone out, that our city would, in a short time, with fire from heaven, be burned down to the ground. What? Did your neighbours talk so? Yes, it was for a while in everybody's mouth. What? And did no more of them but you come out to escape the danger? Though there was, as I said, a great talk thereabout, yet I do not think they did firmly believe it. For, in the heat of the talking, I heard some of them deridingly speak of you, and of your desperate journey, for so they called this your pilgrimage. But I did believe, and do still, that the end of our city will be with fire and brimstone from above, and therefore I have made my escape. Did you hear no talk of neighbor Pliable? Yes, Christian. I heard that he followed you till he came to the Slough of Despond, where, as some said, he fell in. But he would not be known to have so done, but I am sure he was soundly bedabbled with that kind of dirt. And what said the neighbors to him? He hath, since his going back, been held greatly in derision, and that among all sorts of people. Some do mock and despise him, and scarce any will set him on work. He is now seven times worse than if he had never gone out of the city. But why should they be so set against him, since they also despise the way that he forsook? Oh, they say, hang him, he is a turncoat, he was not true to his profession. I think God has stirred up even his enemies to hiss at him and laugh at him, because he hath forsaken the way. Had you no talk with him before you came out? I met him once in the streets, but he leered away on the other side, as one ashamed of what he had done so I spake not to him. 
Well, at my first setting out, I had hopes of that man, but now I fear he will perish in the overthrow of the city, for it has happened to him according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. These are my fears of him too, but who can hinder that which will be? Well, neighbour faithful, said Christian, let us leave him, and talk of things that more immediately concern ourselves. Tell me now what you have met with in the way as you came, for I know that you have met with some things, or else it may be writ for a wonder. I escaped the slough that I perceive you fell into, and got up to the gate without that danger. Only I met with one whose name is Wanton, that had liked to have done me a mischief. It was well you escaped her net. Joseph was hard put to it by her, and he escaped her as you did, but it had liked to have cost him his life. But what did she do to you? You cannot think, but that you know something. What a flattering tongue she had. She lay at me hard to turn aside with her, promising me all manner of enjoyment. Nay, she did not promise you the enjoyment of a good conscience. You know what I mean. Not the enjoyment of the soul, but of the body. Thank God you have escaped her. The abhorred of the Lord shall fall into her ditch. Nay, I do not know whether I did wholly escape her or no. Why, I suppose you did not consent to her desires? No, not to defile myself, for I remembered an old writing that I had seen which saith, Her steps take hold of hell. So I shut mine eyes, because I would not be bewitched with her looks. Then she railed on me, and I went my way. Did you meet with no other assault as you came? When I came to the foot of the hill called Difficulty, I met with a very aged man, who asked me what I was and whither bound. I told him that I was a pilgrim, going to the celestial city. Then said the old man, Thou lookest like an honest fellow. Wilt thou be content to dwell with me, for the wages that I shall give thee? Then I asked him his name, and where he dwelt. He said his name was Adam the First, and that he dwelt in the town of Deceit. I asked him then what was his work, and what the wages that he would give. He told me that his work was many delights, and his wages, that I should be his heir at last. I further asked him what house he kept, and what other servants he had. So he told me that his house was filled with all the dainties of the world, and that his servants were his own children. Then I asked him how many children he had. He said that he had but three daughters, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and that I should marry them if I would. Then I asked how long time he would have me live with him, and he told me, as long as he lived himself. Well, and what conclusion came the old man and you two at the last? Why, at first I found myself somewhat inclinable to go with the man, for I thought he spake very fair, but looking in his forehead, as I talked with him, I saw there written, Put off the old man with his deeds. And how then? Then it came burning hot into my mind, whatever he said and however he flattered, when he got home to his house, he would sell me for a slave. So I bid him forbear, for I would not come near the door of his house. Then he reviled me, and told me that he would send such a one after me that should make my way bitter to my soul. So I turned to go away from him, but... Just as I turned myself to go thence, I felt him take hold of my flesh, and give me such a deadly twitch back, that I thought he had pulled part of me after himself, 
This made me cry, O wretched man! So I went up on my way up the hill. Now, when I had got about halfway up, I looked behind me and saw one coming after me, swift as the wind, so he overtook me just about the place where the settle stands. Just there, said Christian, did I sit down to rest me, but being overcome with sleep, I there lost this roll out of my bosom. But, good brother, hear me out. So soon as the man overtook me, he was but a word and a blow, for down he knocked me and laid me for dead. But when I was a little come to myself again, I asked him wherefore he served me so. He said, because of my secret inclining to Adam the first. And with that, he struck me another deadly blow on the breast and beat me down backwards, so I lay at his feet as dead as before. So when I came to myself again, I cried him mercy, but he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that he knocked me down again. He had doubtless made an end of me, but that one came by and bid him forbear. Who was that that bid him forbear? I did not know him at first, but as he went by, I perceived the holes in his hands and his side. Then I concluded that he was our Lord. So I went up the hill. That man that overtook you was Moses. He spareth none, neither knoweth he how to show mercy to those that disobey his law. I know it very well. It was not the first time that he has met with me. It was he that came to me when I dwelt securely at home, and that told me he would burn my house over my head if I stayed there. But did you not see the house that stood there, on the top of the hill, on the side of which Moses met you? Yes, and the lions too, before I came at it. But for the lions, I think they were asleep, for it was about noon, and because I had so much of the day before me, I passed by the porter, and came down the hill. He told me indeed that he saw you go by, but I wished you had called at the house, for they would have showed you so many rarities that you would scarce have forgot them to the day of your death. But pray tell me, did you meet nobody in the Valley of Humility? Yes, I met with one discontent, who would willingly have persuaded me to go back again with him. His reason was, for that the valley was altogether without honour. He told me, moreover, that there to go was the way to disoblige all my friends, as pride, arrogancy, self-conceit, worldly glory, with others, who he knew, as he said, would be very much offended if I had made such a fool of myself as to wade through this valley. Well, and how did you answer him? I told him that, although all these that he named might claim kindred of me, and that rightly, for indeed, they were my relations according to the flesh, yet, since I became a pilgrim, they have disowned me, as I also have rejected them, and therefore they were to me now no more than if they had never been of my lineage. I told him, moreover, that as to this valley, he had quite misrepresented the thing, for before honor is humility, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Therefore, said I, I had rather go through this valley to the honor that was so accounted by the wisest, than choose that which he esteemed most worthy of our affections. Met you with nothing else in that valley? Yes, I met with shame, but of all the men that I met with in my pilgrimage, he, I think, bears the wrong name. The others would take no for an answer, at least after some words of denial. But this bold-faced shame would never have done. 
Why, what did he say to you? What? Why, he objected against religion itself. He said it was pitiful, low, sneaking business for a man to mind religion. He said that a tender conscience was an unmanly thing, and that for a man to watch over his words and ways, so as to tie himself from that liberty that the brave spirits of the times accustomed themselves unto, would make him the ridicule of all the people in our time. He objected also, that but a few of the mighty, rich or wise, were ever of my opinion, nor any of them neither, before they were persuaded to be fools, to venture the loss of all for nobody else knows what. He, moreover, objected the base and low estate and condition of those that were chiefly the pilgrims of the times in which they had lived, also their ignorance and want of understanding and all worldly knowledge. Yea, he did hold me to it at that rate also, about a great many more things than here I relate, as that it was a shame to sit whining and mourning under a sermon, and a shame to come sighing and groaning home, that it was a shame to ask my neighbor forgiveness for petty faults, or to give back what I had taken from any. He said also that religion made a man grow strange to the great, because of a few vices, which he called by finer names, and because religion made him own and respect the base, who were of the same religious company. And is not this, said he, a shame? And what did you say to him? Say, I could not tell what to say at first. Yea, he put me so to it that my blood came up in my face. Even this shame fetched it up, and had almost beat me quite off. But at last I began to consider that that which is highly esteemed among men is had in an abomination with God. And I thought again, this shame tells me what men are, but it tells me nothing what God or the word of God is. And I thought, moreover, that at the day of doom we shall not be doomed to death or life according to the spirits of the world, but according to the wisdom and law of the highest. Therefore, thought I, what God says is best, is best, though all the men in the world are against it. Seeing then that God prefers his religion, seeing God prefers a tender conscience, seeing that they make themselves fools for the kingdom of heaven are wisest, and that the poor man that loveth Christ is richer than the greatest man in the world that hates him. Shame, depart, thou art an enemy to my salvation. Shall I listen to thee against my sovereign Lord? How then shall I look at him in the face at his coming? Should I now be ashamed of his way and servants, how can I expect the blessing? But indeed, this shame was a bold villain. I could scarce shake him out of my company. Yea, he would be haunting of me, and continually whispering me in the ear with some one or other of the weak things that attend religion. But at last I told him it was in vain to attempt further in this business, for those things that he despised, in those did I see most glory, and so at last I got past this persistent one. And when I had shaken him off, then I began to sing, The trials that those men do meet withal, that are obedient to the heavenly call, are manifold and suited to the flesh, and come and come and come again afresh, that now or sometime else we by them may be taken, overcome, and cast away. Oh, let the pilgrims, let the pilgrims then be vigilant and quit themselves like men.
I am glad, my brother, that thou didst withstand this villain so bravely, for of all, as thou sayest, I think he has the wrong name, for he is so bold as to follow us in the streets, and to attempt to put us to shame before all men, that is, to make us ashamed of that which is good. But if he was not himself bold, he would never attempt to do as he does. But let us still resist him, for notwithstanding all his bold words, he promoteth the fool and none else. The wise shall inherit glory, said Solomon, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. I think we must cry to him for help against shame, who would have us to be valiant for truth upon the earth. You say true, but did you meet nobody else in that valley? No, not I, for I had sunshine all the rest of the way through that, and also through the valley of the shadow of death. It was well for you. I am sure it fared far otherwise with me. I had for a long season, as soon almost as I entered into that valley, a dreadful combat with that foul fiend Apollyon. Yea, I thought verily he would have killed me, especially when he got me down and crushed me under him, as if he would have crushed me to pieces. For as he threw me, my sword flew out of my hand. Nay, he told me he was sure of me, and I cried to God, and he heard me, and delivered me out of all my troubles. Then I entered into the valley of the shadow of death, and had no light for almost half the way through it. I thought I should have been killed there over and over, but at last day broke, and the sun rose, and I went through that which was behind with far more ease and quiet. Moreover, I saw in my dream that, as they went on, Faithful, as he chanced to look on one side, saw a man, whose name is Talkative, walking at a distance beside them for in this place there was room enough for them all to walk. He was a tall man, and something better looking at a distance than near at hand. To this man Faithful spoke himself in this manner. Friend, whither away? Are you going to the heavenly country? I am going to that same place. That is well. Then I hope we may have your good company. With a very good will, will I be your companion? Come on, then, and let us go together, and let us spend our time in talking of things that are profitable. To talk of things that are good to me is very acceptable, with you or with any other, and I am glad that I have met with those that incline to so good a work. For, to speak the truth, there are but few who care thus to spend their time as they are in their travels, but choose much rather to be speaking of things to no profit and this has been a trouble to me. That is indeed a thing to be lamented, for what things so worthy of the use of the tongue and mouth of men on earth, as are the things of the God of heaven? I like you wonderfully well, for your saying is full of the truth, and I will add, what thing is so pleasant, and what so profitable, as to talk of the things of God? What thing so pleasant? That is, if a man hath any delight in things that are wonderful. For instance, if a man doth delight to talk of the history or the mystery of things. Or if a man doth love to talk of miracles, wonders, or signs. Where shall he find things written so delightful or so sweetly penned as in the Holy Scripture? That's true, but to be profited by such things in our talk should be that which we design. That is it that I said, for to talk of such things is most profitable, 
for by doing so a man may get knowledge of many things as of the folly of earthly things and the benefit of things above besides by this a man may learn what it is to turn from sin to believe to pray to suffer or the like by this also a man may learn what are the great promises and comforts of the gospel to his own enjoyment further by this a man may learn to answer false opinions to prove the truth and also to teach the ignorant all this is true and glad am i to hear these things from you alas the want of this is the cause that so few understand the need of faith and the necessity of a work of grace in their soul in order to eternal life but by your leave heavenly knowledge of these is the gift of god no man attaineth to them by human working or only by the talk of them all that i know very well for a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven i could give you a hundred scriptures for the confirmation of this well then said faithful what is that one thing that we shall at this time found our talk upon what you will i will talk of things heavenly or things earthly things in life or things in the gospel things sacred or things worldly things past or things to come things foreign or things at home things necessary or things accidental provided that all be done to our profit now did faithful begin to wonder and stepping to christian for he walked all this while by himself he said to him but softly what a brave companion have we got surely this man will make a very excellent pilgrim at this christian modestly smiled and said this man with whom you are so taken will deceive with this tongue of his twenty of them that know him not do you know him then know him yes better than he knows himself pray what is he his name is talkative he dwelleth in our town i wonder that you should be a stranger to him only i consider that our town is large whose son is he and whereabout doth he dwell he is the son of one saywell he dwelt in prating row and is known to all that are acquainted with him by the name of talkative of prating row and notwithstanding his fine tongue he is but a sorry fellow well he seems to be a very pretty man that is to them that have not a thorough acquaintance with him for he is best abroad near home he is ugly enough your saying that he is a pretty man brings to my mind what i have observed in the work of the painter whose pictures show best at a distance but very near more unpleasing but i am ready to think you do but jest because you smiled god forbid that i should jest though i smiled in this matter or that i should accuse any falsely i will give you a further discovery of him this man is for any company and for any talk as he talketh now with you so will he talk when he is on the ale-bench and the more drink he hath in his crown the more of these things he hath in his mouth religion hath no place in his heart or house or conversation all that he hath lieth in his tongue and his religion is to make a noise therewith say you so then am i in this man greatly deceived deceived you may be sure of it remember the proverb they say and do not 
but the kingdom of god is not in word but in power he talketh of prayer of turning to god of faith and of the new birth but he knows but only to talk them i have been in his family and have seen him both at home and abroad and i know what i say of him is the truth his house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savour there is there neither prayer nor sign of turning from sin yea the brute in his kind serves god far better than he he is the very stain reproach and shame of religion to all that know him it can hardly have a good word in all that end of the town where he dwells through him thus say the common people that know him a saint abroad and a devil at home his poor family finds it so he is such a fault-finder such a railer at and so unreasonable with his servants that they neither know how to do for or to speak to him men that have any dealings with him say it is better to deal with a turk than with him for fairer dealing they shall have at their hands this talkative if it be possible will go beyond them cheat beguile and overreach them besides he brings up his sons to follow his steps and if he findeth in any of them a foolish timorousness for so he calls the first appearance of a tender conscience he calls them fools and blockheads and by no means will employ them in much or speak to their commendation before others for my part i am of the opinion that he has by his wicked life caused many to stumble and fall and will be if god prevent it not the ruin of many more well my brother i am bound to believe you not only because you say you know him but also because like a christian you make your reports of men for i cannot think you speak these things of ill-will but because it is even so as you say had i known him no more than you i might perhaps have thought of him as at first you did yea had he received this report only from those that are enemies to religion i should have thought it had been a slander a lot that often falls from bad men's mouths upon good men's names and professions but all these things yea and a great many more as bad of my own knowledge i can prove him guilty of besides good men are ashamed of him they can neither call him brother nor friend the very naming of him among them makes them blush if they know him well i see that saying and doing are two things and hereafter i shall better observe the difference between them they are two things indeed and are as diverse as are the soul and the body for as the body without the soul is but a dead carcass so saying if it be alone is but a dead carcass also the soul of religion is the practical part pure religion and undefiled before god and the father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world this talkative is not aware of he thinks that hearing and saying will make a good christian and thus he deceiveth his own soul hearing is but as the sowing of the seed talking is not sufficient to prove that fruit is indeed in the heart and life let us assure ourselves that at the day of doom men shall be judged according to their fruits well i was not so fond of his company at first but i am as sick of it now what shall we do to be rid of him take my advice and do as i bid you and you shall find that he will soon be sick of your company too except god shall touch his heart and turn it what would you have me to do why go to him and enter into some serious conversation about the power of religion and ask him plainly when he has approved of it for that he will whether this thing be set up in his heart house or conduct then the faithful stepped forward again and said to talkative come what cheer how is it now thank you well i thought we should have had a great deal of talk by this time well if you will we will fall to it now and since you left it with me to state the question let it be this how doth the saving grace of god show itself when it is in the heart of man 
I perceive, then, that our talk must be about the powers of things. Well, it is a very good question, and I shall be willing to answer you, and take my answer in brief thus. First, where the grace of God is in the heart, it causeth there a great outcry against sin. Secondly, nay, hold, let us consider of one at once. I think you should rather say, it shows itself by inclining the soul to hate its sin. Why, what difference is there between crying out against and hating sin? Oh, a great deal. A man may cry out against sin in order to appear good, but he cannot hate it except by a real dislike for it. I have heard many cry out against sin in the pulpit, who yet can abide it well enough in the heart, house, and life. Some cry out against sin, even as the mother cries out against her child in her lap, when she calleth it a naughty girl, and then falls to hugging it and kissing it. You are trying to catch me, I perceive. No, not I. I am only for setting things right. But what is the second thing whereby you would prove a discovery of a work of God in the heart? Great knowledge of hard things in the Bible. This sign should have been first, but first or last it is also false, for knowledge, great knowledge, may be obtained in the mysteries of the gospel, and yet no work of grace in the soul. Yea, if a man have all knowledge, he may yet be nothing, and so consequently be no child of God. When Christ said, Do ye know all these things? And the disciples had answered, Yes, he added, Blessed are ye if ye do them. He doth not lay the blessing in the knowledge of them, but in the doing of them. For there is a knowledge that is not attended with doing. He that knoweth his master's will, and doeth it not. A man may know like an angel, and yet be no Christian. Therefore your sign of it is not true. Indeed, to know is a thing that pleaseth talkers and boasters, but to do is that which pleaseth God. You are trying to catch me again. This is not profitable. Well, if you please, name another sign of how this work of grace showeth itself where it is. Nor I, for I see we shall not agree. Well, if you will not, will you give me leave to do it? You may say what you please. God's work in the soul showeth itself either to him that hath it or to standers by. To him that has it, it is shown by making him see and feel his own sins. To others who are standing by it is shown by his life, a life of doing right in the sight of God. And now, sir, as to this brief account of the work of grace, and also the showing of it, if you have aught to object, object. If not, then give me leave to ask you a second question. Nay, my part is not now to object but to hear. Let me, therefore, have your second question. It is this. Have you felt your own sins, and have you turned from them? And do your life and conduct show it the same? Or is your religion in word or in tongue, and not in deed and truth? Pray, if you incline to answer me in this, and say no more than you know the God above will say amen to, and also nothing but what your conscience can approve you in. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Besides, to say I am thus and thus, when my conduct and all my neighbors tell me I lie, is great wickedness. 
Then Talkative at first began to blush, but recovering himself, thus he replied, The kind of discourse I did not expect, nor am I disposed to give an answer to such questions, because I count not myself bound thereto unless you take upon you to be a questioner, and though you should do so, yet I may refuse to make you my judge. But I pray, will you tell me why you ask me such questions? Because I saw you forward to talk, and because I knew not that you had aught else but notion. Besides, to tell you all the truth, I have heard of you that you are a man whose religion lies in talk, and that your life gives this your mouth profession the lie. They say you are a spot among Christians, and that religion fared the worse for your ungodly conduct, that some have already stumbled at your wicked ways, and that more are in danger of being destroyed thereby. Your religion, and an alehouse, and greed for gain, and uncleanness, and swearing, and lying, and vain company-keeping, etc., will stand together. You are ashamed to all who are members of the church. Since you are ready to take up reports, and to judge so rashly as you do, I cannot but conclude you are some peevish or cross man, not fit to be talked with, and so adieu. Then up came Christian, and said to his brother, I told you how it would happen. Your words and his heart could not agree. He had rather leave your company than reform his life. But he is gone, as I said. Let him go. The loss is no man's but his own. He has saved us the trouble of going from him, for he, continuing as I suppose he will do, as he is, he would have been but a blot on our company. Besides, the apostle says, From such withdraw thyself. But I am glad we had this little talk with him. It may happen that he will think of it again. However, I have dealt plainly with him, and so am clear of his blood, if he perisheth. You did well to talk so plainly to him as you did. There is but little of this faithful dealing with men nowadays, and that makes religion to be despised by so many, for they are these talkative fools whose religion is only in word, and are vile and vain in their life, that being so much admitted into the fellowship of the godly, do puzzle the world, blemish Christianity, and grieve the sincere. I wish that all men would deal with such as you have done. Then should they either be made more suitable to religion, or the company of saints would be too hot for them. Then did Faithful say, How talkative at first lifts up his plumes! How bravely doth he speak, how he presumes, To drive down all before him but so soon, As Faithful talks of hard work like the moon, That's past the full into the wane he goes, and so will all but he who'd hard work knows. Thus they went on, talking of what they had seen by the way, and so made that way easy which would otherwise, no doubt, have been tedious to them. For now they went through a wilderness. End of Part 1, Chapter 5